Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, powered by Dimers.com. This is episode number 95, Thursday, October 8th, 2020. And how incredibly exciting is it in the sports betting space right now? This is such an awesome moment with so many changes taking place, not only in terms of ground-level betting, but also at a legal and regulatory level with new states trying to enter the fray and figure this thing out and taking different approaches, some of them vastly different, incredibly different from one another, but not only from a legal and regulatory level, but also from an integrity level and also a media and advertising level within the integrity realm with there being a legitimate debate occurring right now as to how how to cover some of this stuff journalistically and how responsible it is and even how hypocritical it can be at, at points to report some of these big money bets and tout parlays and a lot of the other BS that's permeating out there in the in the media verse right now. Even a lot of people are making a mockery of responsible gambling and people in, in pretty important positions. And it's it's the Wild West right now out there. There's no precedent for this stuff in the United States. But there's also incredible opportunity and especially opportunity to help educate bettors on how to do this sports betting stuff responsibly while also having a lot of fun doing it. And there's a wonderful middle ground and the potential down the road. And it's going to take a while to see a flourishing sports betting industry and I guess gaming industry in general um, here in the United States, one that allows all sharp action and, and allows tons of liquidity and fosters innovation and embraces new technology and, and new ways to bet. We'll get there one day, and the Doggy Juice Pod is here to help do its part in helping us get there. A special warm welcome to all of the new listeners out there. I have a very fun episode for you this week. There's a shit ton happening out there in the sports betting world right now, as I just touched on. So I'll first jump into some quick hitters here on the podcast. Then we'll cut to my chat with Sage, a.k.a. The Big Dog, a.k.a. Better Call Paul, who I sat down with last night, Wednesday night, to talk about these crazy MLB playoffs. As a former college baseball pitcher, you don't want to miss his takes on the playoffs and his crazy superstition that he had while playing baseball in the Missouri Valley Conference back in college. After that interview, I'll jump to this weekend's college football and NFL cards, and of course, we will hear from our pal, The Danimal, to get his picks for the weekend card before we close out with the official Doggy Juice podcast plays. Last weekend was quite literally perfect in terms of those Doggy Juice pod plays, the official plays of the podcast. We had a very nice weekend with West Virginia, the Doggy Juice Pod College Play of the Week, cashing our plus threes and our money lines. The wrong team was favored in that one, as I said. And Iowa State, the Cyclones, also got the outright win after closing as a a 7.5-point dog at home. Matt Campbell and Brock Purdy, baby. If you've been listening to this pod the past two years, you know. But in the NFL, we also had an amazing day here with the podcast plays. We swept the board with our Sunday plays, hitting Chargers plus 7.5, although... Anthony Lynn definitely made his part, or he did his part to make that difficult. The Eagles, outright on Sunday night, obviously, gave them out. That line actually went up to nine on game day. Um, Sunday night ticked back down a little bit towards the end, but uh, that number ended up even going up higher heading into the game. But didn't matter. The Eagles won that one outright, and then the Giants catching the 13 against the Rams. 14 ended up actually showing on that one, too, but it didn't matter. The damn Jets, they're in the drawer, and thank God my ratings don't get me there with them this week, although it's close against the Cardinals. They could well get there, uh, but it's not going to be with my money, I don't think, this week, unless that puppy ticks back up a few more, or ticks up a few more points. But after nailing it last week, just a friendly reminder to keep your bankroll management in check, because great weeks like last week are great. We've had so many of them here on the pod over the last two years already. But there will be the not-so-good weeks. You have to remember that. It's a long game we're playing. It's a numbers game, too. We're just trying to scrape out edges over time and, and build our bankroll over time. You're not going to have unbeaten weeks <laughs> every week, but uh, always keep that in mind. Always keep your unit size in check. Having said that, you better believe we have more picks later. But first, some quick hitters. Illinois sports betting handle. The August numbers are in. 
They were uh, released earlier this week, and they were impressive. The six brick-and-mortar locations and three online books that were available during August combined to take in $139.6 million in handle, according to the Illinois Gaming Board. Per Sports Handle, that nearly 100, the $140 million in August more than doubled the combined $61.7 million in handle taken from July, uh, March through July, although, as we know, March was cut short and April and May had nothing due to the pandemic before Governor Pritzker's executive order in June paved the way for remote registration for online betting. We've been covering that, obviously, week on a week-by-week basis here on the podcast. Listen back to previous episodes for more on that. Uh, but Bet Rivers was the big dog in August, obviously taking in 117.6 million of that 140 million, uh, with 106.3 million of that taking place via mobile and online wagering. The 140 million dollars in handle generated 7.2 million dollars in sportsbook revenue, meaning there was a 5.18 percent um, whole percentage, which is a lower whole percentage than you would expect, but it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense because of all the promotions and customer acquisition efforts, especially with DraftKings and FanDuel entering the fray as well. Uh, this all resulted in just a tick above $1 million in state revenue after factoring in the state's 15% tax rate. September numbers are going to be even more crazy, and it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this one out. DraftKings and FanDuel we're in the market for that entire month for September, once we hear those numbers. Uh, if you remember, DraftKings didn't get the go-ahead to register bettors remotely until August 19th, and FanDuel didn't join until August 28th, and then obviously PointsBet didn't join until um, in, until mid-September. So September numbers are going to jump way up. You're going to see DraftKings and FanDuel uh, be, be the, in, the leaders here in the state in terms of money taken in, money wagered, and those numbers are going to continue to rise as more books enter the space, and especially as as long as in-person registration is, is or at least the requirement for in-person registration is lifted by Governor Pritzker. The world's largest ever recorded parlay, at least legally here in the U.S., was placed on Tuesday. A better at DraftKings made a $3 million wager to win $5.57 million. That's equivalent to plus 186 odds. On three teams... Uh, football futures. The Green Bay Packers to win the NFC North at minus 360, Georgia to win the SEC East at minus 110, and Alabama to win the SEC West at minus 670. And Captain Jack Andrews on Twitter did a terrific job of breaking this bet down and explaining why it's such a massive negative EV bet. I retweeted it on the Doggy Juice Twitter account so you could find it there, but essentially... Captain Jack went through and he explained he explains the implied whole percentages in each market because obviously the bet needs to cash in three separate markets, of course. That's how parlays work. And he broke down the math and worked through what the fair odds would be for this parlay whale, the guy who made this play, and concluded that the bet features a house edge of about 43%. 43%, meaning that less than 20% of the time this parlay whale guy wins his $5.5 million, and over 80% of the time, he loses, meaning his expected value is negative $1,290,071. Simply put, when you bet parlays, you compound the house edge, just like you compound interest, and if he bet all of these three separately, he would instead have roughly a 5.5% chance of losing all $3 million. So... Be sure to check that tweet out and reference it anytime you're thinking about spending a lot of money, or any money for that matter, on a parlay. And also be sure to follow Captain Jack, because not only is he a fantastic ambassador for professional bettors in the industry, knows everybody, knows all the ins and outs, but he also produced a lot of fantastic evergreen sports betting content on his YouTube page during quarantine. I had the pleasure of, of talking to him at length over on the phone back in April, about the sports betting industry and, and developments in the industry and, and what he's building with Rufus Peabody and, and some other some others with the American Betters Coalition. And he couldn't have been a nicer guy, so definitely follow him. And there's a big, larger debate being staged on gambling Twitter right now, and it's a lot of it centers around Cash Out King, 
quote-unquote, this guy, Chicago-based dude and, and uh, journalists like Darren Ravel and other journalists who are covering these obnoxious big wager hits and big parlay bets. Um, guys like Parlay Pats, if you remember him, he was covered for hitting these monster parlays, and it turns out the guy was just blowing money, and, and he, he ended up threatening threatening athletes and some very serious federal crimes were charged against him. And now you have this cash-out king guy who's located here in Chicago. If you remember, he's the one that hit the big Colin Morikawa bets uh, for over a million dollars over the summer. And now stuff's coming out of the woodwork on him owing people a bunch of money. And guys like Ravel have served to legitimize him. And by all accounts, it looks like this guy was involving himself in some heavy illegal bookmaking and taking money from people that he's not paying back now. And you know he was legitimized in the media and, and covered with this big money hit because obviously that stuff sells. And there's a legitimate debate occurring within the industry right now that I think is very interesting, and it will be a big topic of discussion here on the Doggy Juice Pod next week. The NBA Finals, if you were watching Game 4 the other night between the Lakers and the Heat, and if you had money on the spread, you definitely had some sort of reaction to Tyler Hero's meaningless, in quotes, last second three-pointer when the Heat were down by nine, making it a six-point win for the Lakers and getting the money for the Heat point spread backers who took the plus seven and a half, plus eight. Uh, That's around where it settled out at before the game started. People on the Lakers who thought that they had a bad beat should also remember that they were not only losing that spread uh, for the entirety of the game, but they were also fortunate in the first place to be covering before Hero was the hero, so to speak. The Heat decided to foul down by seven with just like over 10 seconds left in the game, 10 or 15 seconds, whatever it was. And that's a coin flip at best to even happen in the first place. So obviously Hero made that three-pointer. The variance didn't work out your way, but don't act like you had a winning bet the whole time or even that you deserved to be in that situation. You were lucky to be in that spot to begin with. The Lakers are now 56-0 and when leading after the third quarter. That's some interesting eye-popping stat. And they're expected to close the deal in Game 5 on Friday night. They're laying 7.5. It looks like I've seen some 7s out there. The total's down to 216 after closing in two eight, at 218 in Game 5. It went way under in Game or sorry in game 4. went way under. Uh, so Game 5, we're seeing a lower total in the Lakers. Similar spread, favored by 7.5. And, and the Lakers are wearing the Mamba jerseys. Just They're 4-0 wearing them in the playoffs. Just saying. Updated presidential odds. And just to be clear, the Doggy Juice podcast is not a political podcast. We merely look at the political markets objectively looking for betting board value. Biden is now up to a consensus minus 190 with Trump plus 170 on the take back. Although I've seen some books out there as high as plus 170 on Trump. Maybe might be able to get higher than that. Um, these are President Trump's longest odds to... I mean, it's, it's the longest odds we've seen. So clearly the last couple of weeks have not been good for him. As we all know, it's been a crazy past few weeks. I don't think I'm going to go out on a limb here by saying clearly we should be prepared for more volatility in the presidential betting markets uh, with the election now 26 days away at the time of this recording. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, state markets to pay particular attention to, obviously, this isn't groundbreaking news here, but Florida, which by all accounts, Trump essentially needs to win re-election. And he's now at even odds, roughly, with, with Biden the last time I looked. Of course, Ohio, because as Ohio goes, the nation goes. No Republican has ever won the presidency without winning Ohio. And only two Democrats have, at least since the two-party system existed, have ever won the presidency without winning Ohio. And uh, That was JFK back in 1960. And the other one, if you want to impress your friends with a a bar bet, Grover Cleveland in two elections back in 1884 and 1892. For those of you who remember, he's the only president that served non-consecutive terms. Perhaps a similarity to Biden, actually, given his connection with the Obama administration. For those of you looking to connect some dots, the previous administration, at least, uh, he was a part of. Anyway, Ohio is currently at Trump minus 165 and Biden plus 135 the last time I looked, essentially saying that Trump has a 60% chance of claiming it when when you split the straddle. And the other state to watch is Pennsylvania, which is currently Biden minus 240, Trump plus 195. It's going to be fascinating to see where these markets move over the next three and a half weeks. All right, without further ado, it's time to move on to some baseball, so... Last night, sat down with 
Better Call Paul, Sage. He was on the podcast um, before the pandemic hit, and now we catch up and, and break down some of these MLB playoffs. So let's jump to that interview right now. All right, you heard him make his debut here on the Doggy Juice Pod earlier this year before this stupid pandemic came and threw a wrench in all of our damn plans. But I am pumped to bring back on the man himself, Sage, a.k.a. Better Call Paul. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, my man. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Besides uh, the fact that, obviously, we've had this pandemic going on. We've had sports around the clock. and uh, So I... Just anybody that hasn't heard of you come on the first time or doesn't know, isn't familiar with you, you're a former star on every playground, every court, every <laughs> field in my town growing up. You're a former college baseball player, and now you are a great sports handicapper. You share your plays on Twitter at better, B-E-T-T-O-R underscore call Paul. So how awesome have these past few weeks been for you uh, with the sports going around the clock uh, on your end as well? Well, first of all, I'll go back to your local uh, sports star. What I, was, I think the only thing people remember me about is the times that I went crazy, which was a little too many. But, you know, whether I say I'm competitive, do I act well? Probably not, but I'm still the same way. So at least I don't change. <laughs> Dude, those are the best athletes, though, the ones that are a little bit of a loose cannon. You know, like those are the best ones. You can think of, like, I mean, just guys off the top of my head, like Luis Suarez in soccer, or like, you're like base, like baseball, basketball. You could probably come up with great examples for, you know. Sometimes you just have to have that edge about you. If you're, yeah, if you're I mean, I'm not right. proud of it, but you know, <laughs> I mean, no one will ever uh, say I don't don't care. So I'll go with that. <laughs> so you've been uh, just like literally watching sports. I know you got the day job and everything, but has, has it been just eyeball one eyeball on the TV at all times, especially right now with the baseball going on all day? Oh, yeah, it's been uh, very tough, especially when you had basketball. And it was starting at um, me on the West Coast starts 9 a.m. So you have basketball, hockey, baseball. Now it's just baseball um, and football, but definitely very tough. Uh, as very good, they're distracted from watching my, watching my sports as well as trying to work remote right now. So less than ideal, but it has been very nice. So, you know, I can't complain. It's been it's been unprecedented, that's for sure. So you're also you're, you're a former college baseball pitcher, and 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 I want to mainly talk about baseball here, but I also want to hear your thoughts on uh, anything else you have that's going on this weekend NFL card. But uh, in terms of baseball, as a former pitcher, like this this bubble that the players have entered for the playoffs, I've been wondering this, and and it's there's a lot of question marks just in terms of of the preparation that's involved. Obviously there's no home field advantage to speak of. So I want to like, I want to hear your perspective on this, like how, if at, if at anything, if there's any effect as a, for a pitcher or even for a player with this type of setup, like how would, how would a, a bubble setup potentially mess with your, with your head mentally as a baseball player? You know, I mean, obviously I've never been to the big leagues or the minor leagues, but I would, I feel like it shouldn't have that big of an effect on any of them. Um, Growing up playing baseball, you're always playing in tournaments. You're going around every weekend, and it's basically you keep you keep winning, you keep playing. So I feel like that's kind of the same aspect right now. So all these guys have played that way before, whether it was in you know junior high, you know pony ball, and then into high school, and then travel teams, and even in college, we would go play like a round robin tournament on like a weekend, and you just keep if you kept winning, you, you would keep playing or we went down to Florida and we just played random teams for like seven straight days. Um, so I don't feel like it's that going to be that different for anyone, maybe because it's different empty stadiums, if anything. But uh, I feel like they've probably been through this, maybe not so much in the minors or the pros, but they've definitely done something like this before. And the other thing I, I can't like come to terms with, or at least it's just so weird. You mentioned the fans. And I'm trying to envision that scenario where, like, it's Game Seven of the World Series, and we got the Yankees and the Astros, or the Yankees and the Dodgers, or sorry, you know, obviously Yankees, Astros, not the World Series, Yankees, Dodgers, okay. I knew and, uh, or the or the AL Game Seven. You know what I mean? A high leverage moment, and there's no fans, there's no there's no noise and stuff. How I mean, I, I've wondered like how that could impact the, I guess the the magic of the moment, the the suspense of the moment, and. I mean, it just stands to reason, and I, I'm no former pitcher at all. I think last time I pitched was second grade. And, 
<laughs> and I was shitty at that. But uh, I, I'm just, I, I try to get in that mindset and I wonder like how that would impact if it's a good, I, I would, it just stands to reason that the younger pitchers maybe that would normally be more nervous that don't have the playoff experience wouldn't feel the pressure as much kind of like in these golf tournaments we're seeing without, without fans as well and vice versa. You know, the, the older guys maybe who would have had the edge don't have that same edge anymore with, um, you know, with no fans. I don't, do you have any insight on that at all? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely more teams are more comfortable. I think I was watching something yesterday and they're like two guys have made their major league debut in the playoffs this year, which would be unheard of in normal years when you have fans. So I feel like teams are definitely more uh, open to bringing up their their rookies or their prospects. The way the White Sox brought up uh, Crochet, because I mean, literally the kid, the guy got drafted this year, was pitching in college in February before all this happened, and then fast forward eight months later, and he's in the playoffs, which is crazy. I don't think they would ever normally do that with yeah. fans. It's almost like we're going to see Tyler Hero pitching for uh, for the Dodgers or something like that later yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's it's a new setup. But and I was curious about you know thinking about players and their you know their routines kind of being not the same now without a home game in the playoffs. But do you know? And it got me to thinking. Do you know like any weird baseball superstitions that dudes had that you played with, or did you have any weird superstitions for baseball? Or are there any that you've heard of, like any Moises Alou shit? No, I don't know anyone that's peed on their hands like Moises. But, uh, you know what? Sometimes desperate measures call for desperate measures. Because, uh, I mean, I can't really think of anything that was very awkward that I saw people do. Obviously, people have, like, the same hitting routine, what they'll eat. Um, I did have a few quirks. I, Whenever I started an inning, I didn't like someone throwing me the ball or, like, the umpire throwing me a ball. Like if it was a new ball or our third baseman would run out first baseman and they'd pick it up and throw it to me when I'd get to the mound. I, I hated that. I've always wanted to pick it up. So if they they picked it up, I would literally point to the ground and have them just throw it on the ground because it was (laughs) absolutely no sense. And I feel like baseball is the only sport where you do it. Um, But that was the thing. I didn't like someone throwing me the ball or I just liked picking it up off the grass. That's well, yeah. No, I mean, we're creatures of habit, and then obviously baseball. You know, when it's a when it comes down to it, it's a pitcher versus a hitter, and it's and, and uh, you know people are in their, setting their routines, and once you get comfortable with that routine, you don't want to leave. It makes sense, but that's funny about I didn't know that about your uh, your aversion towards towards catching a ball throwing at you. Yeah, I mean, before you even, took even when I'd come out of the bullpen, like obviously the the coach would have the ball waiting for you to get there and hand it to you. I would tell them to put it on the mound. Like I, I didn't want it to be handed. Wow. So every, everybody kind of knew about it, huh? Yeah. I mean, I would ask, I would just be like, they, they would hand, go to hand it to me. I'd be like, just put it down. Like I didn't, <laughs> it, it made no awesome. sense. Like I, it really didn't affect anything that I did as far as whether it was a good outing or bad outing, but it was just, I don't know if it was just psychological out there, but that's literally the only sport where I've ever had that. That's awesome. I mean, I, I love those little angles that cause you, you can't put that like in a point spread. And if you find out, you know, certain things like that, like what if, uh, what if Moises Alou couldn't pee on his hands before a game? You probably want that information as a handicapper, right? I mean, it's going to mess with his mentals. So you probably have a throwing problem then. Things could have worked out a lot differently. Maybe, maybe before that, uh, that Bartman game, he wasn't able to, to let one rip and peel over himself before. I don't know. Yeah. That poor guy they showed the highlights the other day. That guy's just I mean, I'm not a Cubs fan, but oh, I mean, literally twenty five other people were reaching for that ball. He's just <laughs> a poor, miserable soul that hit it. Yeah, it's the, the ultimate wrong guy, wrong time thing too. And he's, he's listening to the damn game on his then he was a hot he was a we're coming up on Halloween here, but I remember he was a really popular Halloween uh costume that year as well. Just oh yeah. I mean it was like a few weeks later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, poor guy, poor guy. That's like literally almost exactly, I think it was 17 years ago from like right around now. Yeah. We'll never forget that. But anyway, let's, so fast forward 17 years to now, and we have playoff baseball going on in these bubbles, these four different bubbles right now for the division series. And uh, it's starting to shape out. We're recording this on Wednesday night. Uh, All of you listening to this, it's going to be later in the week, probably or the weekend. So some stuff obviously has changed uh, by the time you're hearing this. But as we stand right now, there's four series going on. The Astros finally got their first playoff loss today on Wednesday. 
um, against the A's. So they're up two to one now in that series, but they haven't even thrown Granky yet, which is crazy. But I'm hearing he might be having arm issues or something like that. But yeah, uh, I, but, I literally thought he was starting today. And when I looked at the lines, I was like, okay, maybe not. Yeah. So it's that's been- interesting. <laughs> but it's an interesting development there. It's but like but Dusty Baker, he's you got to give him credit. You got to tip the cap. I mean, people were very, I don't know, like uh, they, they, they were kind of harsh on him at the start when he came in to be the guy at the start of this year with all the distractions around them. But you got to give credit where credit's due. At least his ability. I mean, you know, Dusty loves to stick with the starters, and it's kind of been working out for him right now. But uh, the Rays and the Yankees, they're tied. One to one in the other AL series, but Game Three is being played right now as we record this, and the Rays have a they should open up a pretty decent lead. Uh, and then the NL we got the Braves and the Marlins. The Braves went up two to zero earlier today, and then the Dodgers and the Padres. The Dodgers heavily favored. They're, they haven't lost yet in the playoffs. They're up one to one to nothing with Game Two on Wednesday night. So I guess we just run through these really quick just to see what your thoughts are at on these, and if you think that there's value, go ahead and let us know. But uh, but yeah, the, the apps. How do you see that that Astros and I mean, do you think the Astros take care of business and and uh, and eliminate the A's? I I think they do. I just think they have the bats for it. I mean, the A's are good. I mean, I'm assuming Montas will start tomorrow, uh, which he was kind of their number one coming into the season. So you know, granted, don't count them out. But I mean, I just think the the Astros have been there. Obviously, the A's just won their first series course beating my white Sox, but uh naturally i mean i just feel like the astros have been there yes this game hurt today they blew a three-run lead in the seventh but i think i think the astros will come out of there uh, mm-hmm. the one i think everyone's excited about is the Rays yankees so yeah what are your thoughts on that one whew, i mean i honestly thought that the yankees i mean the only thing that scared me about them was their pitching because they can definitely hit um but you know I didn't like what they did yesterday as far as uh, starting Garcia and then going to Hap in the second inning. Like at that point, mm-hmm. why not start Hap and maybe Garcia in game four, but mm-hmm. let Garcia go a little further because it was game two. They're up one nothing. I mean, the guy's 21, but no fans, no nothing. I mean, he gave up a home run and a hit by pitch in the first inning, but you know, let the guy go out there. Who knows? Like he maybe got comfortable, but then I feel like now that they have no starting pitching after Tanaka. Yeah, and Tanaka, as we're speaking right now, he got lit up uh, pretty good. We're, it's halfway through game three right now, but he did not have a good first five. It looks like they've tagged him for five runs in the first five already. So, Well, let's uh, hope that the Yankees can get the five because I took the team yeah. total over. <laughs> <laughs> There's still plenty of time on that. But, uh, no, that'll be an interesting one, obviously. Whoever wins that uh, is is going to – you'd think, is, assume is going to be the favorite. Yeah, definitely, over the Astros and the, the ALCS. But um, in the NL – do you see, is there any, the Braves went up 2-0 early today. Is there any world where the Marlins can pull off three in a row in that series, you think? Or is it going to be easy peasy? There's always a chance. I would say it's unlikely. But that dude who pitched uh, against the Cubs, who's pitching tomorrow for them, Sixto Sanchez, that guy's nasty. Uh, I mean, but I mean, I think the Braves are the first team or since like the 30s to have three shutouts in their first four games of the playoffs. Oh, wow. So the pitching staff is rolling. Uh, i I just don't think that the Marlins can come back. I think they're a good team, but as far as coming winning the next three, I, I, I don't see it. Yeah, very, very difficult. And you could certainly make a lot of money by by uh, money line rollover all three of those games, obviously. But yeah, it's setting up like you said. The Braves staff has been has been so good. They're they're hot at the right time, so to speak. And and uh, it looks like they're setting up for a potential date with the Dodgers, obviously, who just look incredible. So far, they haven't lost yet. These playoffs, they're they, they're up one zero heading to game two. So, I mean, it, is there any way the Padres you think pull that off? And how do you think the Dodgers would look at ahead a little bit? Obviously, making some assumptions, but how do you think the Dodgers would would match up against the Braves? Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be the Dodgers with Lamet and Clevenger now going to be taken off the the roster, so he's out for this series, which would mean next series as well. Uh, I mean, I just don't think they have enough pitching. I think Davies is pitching against Kershaw tonight. Davies is a good pitcher. I mean, I don't. I mean, it was, he had a good year at the Brewers a couple of years ago. I think he got smacked around in the playoffs. So, you know, I, just, I would take the Dodgers. Obviously, Re- really going out on a limb there, but I think they beat this team. Right, and then the Dodgers and Braves. I mean, obviously the Dodgers would be favored if they were to play. But do you, is it just what a scenario where you're kind of expecting it to be Dodgers Yankees or Dodgers Astros? Then the way it's setting I'm, up. 
I mean, I think it's going to be – that's a good one. I mean, I think it's the winner of the, the Rays or the Yankees is going yeah. to play the Dodgers. I think that's the good. Braves can give them a series. I haven't seen – obviously, the lines haven't come out, but my, you know, if there's a line where the Braves are plus a couple games, you know, like if I can find like a plus one and a half, you know, plus two and a half, I would take them because I don't think people realize they had the number two offense right behind the Dodgers. I think they were like tied almost or right behind them in home runs. So they have just as good an offense. So it's basically just come down to starting pitching. And it's almost a spot where if you're looking to bet on the Braves, you hope the Dodgers sweep out pretty, and maybe even hope the Braves drop once you can get an inflated price like that. Cause obviously the Dodgers will be pretty heavily favored in that series. And, and like you said, with the Braves staff and, and with that hitting that's underrated, that's probably a, I, I could just imagine that's a good, value play uh, to have in the in the NLCS if that's the matchup. I mean, getting a nice plus price at whoever's going to go up against the Dodgers in any series, but a very nice plus price uh, if you're yeah. not the Yankees or the, or the Astros. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it, in the end, it's looking like it could very well end up being, you know, that highly anticipated Yankees-Dodgers matchup, although, like you said, the Rays might have something to say about that. But, uh, no, it should be interesting. Do, do you have any – before we hear your your NFL play or whatever else you got for this week, I heard you have a challenge for someone too. But you yeah. got any other other thoughts on baseball or? Uh, no, not really on baseball. It's it's definitely been interesting. I I don't know why they went to the straight five days and five games. I get it. I'm maybe go. They should have gone, you know, four and one. That way, you know, you have a day off. That way, you can someone can throw their best pitcher again. I get it. It's not ideal for everyone. That would have been the only recommendation that I didn't like about the playoffs. They, they had to do what they had to do as far as the series and the bubble. You know, everything kind of this year is on the fly, so I think that's all right. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, as far as a challenge, um, I do have a challenge for uh, a guy called the Danimal. Uh, I've been <laughs> at odds with this guy for years, and <laughs> I would like to challenge him to a bet. Obviously, the loser has to buy the other one dinner. Um, I will buy it for him and whoever he desires, and I would hope the same for me. Uh, actually, it'd just be me because I know I can eat more than him. But <laughs> I would like to challenge him to an NFL three bets next week. We each get to pick one game as far as a spread, one game as an over-under, and then one two-team teaser, six points. Uh, I'll let him – I believe you're talking with him – sometime this week so he'll probably ball since i know him but you know maybe he'll shock me (laughs) well i'm sure he's gonna accept that so uh all the doggy just pod listeners if you should be aware that that danimal is a is a regular at least right now with his picks on the nfl and and uh so we're gonna listen to his answer to sage's challenge later on in this podcast so stick around for that one but just, and, and I'm more than happy to uh, to act as the intermediary in this challenge, and uh, we can, uh, like, in terms of a dinner, are we talking like? Obviously, it's not going to be like a cheap dinner. I don't know about five star, you know, th- three Michelin yeah, yeah. star dinner. But or, like, do you want to set like, uh, uh, I don't know, like rules in place for like the type, just like a standard night out at like a standard place, or what type of dinner are you thinking? Um, you know, I think we just play it safe. Just go pizza. Any kind of pizza okay. place. Obviously, you got Chicago's got great pizza places. California, not so great, but we can find something. Uh, no, I don't, I don't want to do no Mastro's, nothing like that. Since you can't eat there, I, I don't want to take it to go. So, <laughs> right. No, yeah, he wants to buy steakhouse food prices and take it home, eat it cold. <laughs> Although yeah, I do I like cold I, I like cold steak. I, I like my, my steak super rare, but no, that's another story. But anyway. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm medium rare. I, I, I like it more towards rare, so we're cool with that. All right. All right. Well, yeah, I can. we can figure that out, and we can look at which – you know, which lines we want to use, but I will help facilitate that challenge for sure. And uh, that could be something fun for next week for the podcast. We can, we can broadcast those for everybody. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. Sweet dude. Well, thanks for uh, coming on again. I'll be sure to bring you back soon enough and let's hope a damn pandemic doesn't start again after I bring you on this time. <laughs> Cause that's what happened last time. I brought you on in February. <laughs> yep. We did baseball and then baseball didn't happen until July. Yeah. So well ahead of the game. Uh, yeah, but I mean, if if you told me back then we'd be talking on the pod about playoff baseball in October, I would have been like not surprised at all. So that's very true. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me back. For sure, dude. Thanks again. Talk to you, bud. Take care. All right. Thanks again to the Sage. That was great. You can follow him on Twitter at better underscore call Paul. 
and listen on to hear the Danimals' response to Sage's challenge in just a little bit when I move on to the NFL. But first, a quick look at this week's college football card. I can feel it all the way down in my plums, getting all swollen. Underdogs went 23-7 and against the spread last Saturday, including our big outright winners here on the podcast with West Virginia and Iowa State. Dogs are now 66-43-2 against the spread. That's 60.6% this season. If you've been betting those blindly, you have a lot of money right now. Uh, We have a lot of fun games this week with ranked teams. Uh, We have some monster matchups and a bunch of different conferences, and it's also fun to think that we have more conferences that are about to kick off their shortened schedules over the next couple of weeks. A big hurricane has been a consideration this week. Hurricane Delta moving up the Gulf Coast has been impacting totals and spreads, and obviously you saw Missouri um, and LSU move their game to Missouri. So that's something to continue to monitor, obviously, as the weekend approaches. We have some big teams playing, and we also have some teams playing their first game of the season this week. And per Brad Powers, college football handicapper, teams that are playing their first game of the season against teams that have already played are 16-4-1 against the spread, with an average cover of 9 points per game. And historically, that angle is 57% over the last 20 years. So that applies to Houston hosting Tulane on Thursday night and Temple going up against Navy on the road on Saturday. We have some big matchups this week, like I said. A lot of ranked teams going up against each other as well. So I'm going to break down some of those right now, and then I'll conclude my college section here with my favorite play of the week. Number four, Florida. Is a six and a half point favorite hosting, or sorry, visiting number twenty one Texas A and M to start the morning. Um, I did lock in some of the plus sevens that were available early in the week, and there are some. At least there's some juiced out sevens. At least those are starting to. I don't see many of those out there right now, uh, but far away places you can find them. Uh, but Texas A and M has been disappointing to start the season. A lot of people are are calling out, you know, all the hype again, and this team's not going to deliver. But at a full touchdown. I am happy with backing the home dog here in this spot. Obviously, plus seven is a way different bet than six and a half. So right now it's at six and a half. So there's asymmetric risk, you know, not getting involved right now. You know, the value of catching the seven versus, you know, if it goes down to six, five and a half, it's obviously a lot better to wait around for that price. But couldn't fault you for locking in some six and a half at all right now on this one, just for a smaller position. But um, I like the home dog here. The Florida defense does look suspect so far. Um, they've given up an eye-popping number of yards to start the season for a defense you expected to be one of the elite units in the nation at the start of the year. And A&M did move the ball um, against Bama last week, you know, 450 yards against Bama. So I'm happy with A&M at plus seven. And if you can find them north of seven, then you know it's good for a serious position. Number eight, North Carolina's hosting number 19, Virginia Tech, and a pair of unbeatens. And another morning matchup, UNC's a four-point favorite in that one. That's right around where I have it, so no bet for me in that game. But that's going to be a great morning watch as well. Unranked Oklahoma is now a two-and-a-half-point favorite against number 22, Texas. In yet another morning battle, the Red River Shootout in Dallas. Oklahoma-Texas, always a fantastic game. Tom Herman's likely on his way out soon in Texas. At least I'm hearing that in the back circles. He's probably on his way out no matter what happens. Uh, the total is creeping up on this one, so fire on the over at 72, 72 and a half right now. If you do want to bet the over before all that public money on the over comes in on Saturday morning, do expect that number to close higher, and it is trickling up. You could have got a better number um, earlier in the week already, but if you're looking to play it, I would definitely play it soon and shop around. Make sure you find the 72, not the 72 and a half. But that's going to be a good one. My numbers have it pretty much right where it is. I do lean Texas, especially if you can get a plus three out there. But, you know, Tom Herman has an underdog and stuff. But um, I'm going to probably be staying on the sidelines and looking to bet that one live. In the afternoon, number three, Georgia, is laying 12. Looks like 12 and a half some places against number 14, Tennessee. That one was at 14 and a half to start the week, which I played. Uh, there's still a very good chance this one does tick back up, or a solid chance this one ticks back up and could hit two touchdowns again, so it wouldn't be in any rush to play the dog right now. I would hold out for a plus 14 to show, but 
at 14 or better, I do think that, uh, that the underdog is worth a look against Georgia in that game. It's going to be tough for Georgia to get any type of margin in that one. Uh, the way their offense is playing, and Tennessee is a strong bunch, so I think that they can keep that one within two touchdowns. Number two, Alabama is visiting Ole Miss in the late afternoon. They're laying 24. Nick Saban is 20-0 against former assistants. I believe that's the number, so <laughs> good luck you know, if you're looking to back Lane Kiffin here. I think Saban would be more than happy to lay it on him. But the total's been interesting in this one with the hurricane coming. There was early money on the under due to the hurricane. And then there was a move on the total to the over uh, during the day on Wednesday. I know Joe Rogers, friend of the pod, will be coming on for an interview um, one of the next few weeks. He has a nice middle on that total in that game, so hat tip to him. But that one is, you know, it's majority, it's, it's the whole game is sorry, majorly weather-related due to the hurricane. I think the under is worth a look at 70 or better, the way the weather forecast is looking right now, especially a lot of winds. In this one, obviously these offenses are very powerful, but the weather really could be a factor in this one uh, with the hurricane or the wind conditions. So uh, something to monitor, but if anything, I'm looking under in that one, especially at 70. I'm seeing 69 and a half start to pop now, so might be getting some under money in as I'm speaking, as I'm saying this right now. And then, of course, we have the clash in the ACC on Saturday night. Number seven, Miami visits number one, Clemson, in a battle of Two three and O teams. That line came down a bit this week. I know Clemson they dropped down from fifteen to fourteen. It's two touchdowns right now. Market consensus as I record this. You should note this is the shortest spread for Clemson in the ACC conference game in three years. One of my favorite plays on the college football card this weekend and numbers that are widely available right now in the marketplace and may even continue to get better as we get closer to kickoff is Kentucky outright at home against Mississippi State. I locked in minus three earlier in the week, and that line's actually gone against me. It's minus two, minus one and a half out there right now. Um, So I think a split ticket on the spread and the money line at minus 125 or better here is a great spot. I make this game closer to six. And we're seeing the Mike Leach factor here, especially after Mississippi State beat LSU in their first game of the season um, outright in their season opener and his first game at the helm. Um, Advanced metrics show that Kentucky's actually a very strong team despite their 0-2 start. Uh, We have to remember that they were neck and neck with Auburn in that first game. I think they were down by two points heading into the fourth quarter. And lots of sharps were on them in, in that game and for good reason in that opener. Um, and then last week they lost by one to Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. The Kentucky offensive line, incredibly strong. They returned four of the best seven starters in the SEC, according to PFF. And it's a spot right here that I just love that the better team, they're at home. And I think you should expect an all-out effort to avoid going 0-3. And this is an inflated, or at least there's an inflated line on, on Mississippi State. You get that Mike Leach factor. Everyone likes betting on him, especially after they beat LSU outright. Mark Stoops on the other side of the ball, he's going to have his troops ready for this one. And I think Kentucky Moneyline at minus 125 or better is a great play on the college football gridiron this weekend. Before we move on to the NFL, just a quick reminder that the Quick Picks feature on Dimers.com is an incredible resource to use for any upcoming action that you may have. It provides you not only with the updated lines and where you can find the best price on any side at a legal sports book for you, but it also features the Dimers Edge for that matchup based on the Dimers model. And they have a little fire icon next to a matchup where the edge is substantial. And in my opinion, it really helps drive home the idea that there are no guaranteed winners, but some edges are greater than others. And making plays with a higher edge gives you a greater chance to be profitable in the long term. This is such an important concept to embrace right now in the early stages of legalized sports betting here in the U.S., especially as the media and the touts out there right now, I'm not going to name any names, but touched on this at the beginning of the podcast, uh, they're flaunting their big parlay bets and big money wagers. So it's important to keep the the, the edges in mind and the, the right way to go about it. And whenever you're in doubt on a game, or even if you want some action on something you're going to watch, that quick picks section at Dimers is a really nice resource to have. All right, time to move on to NFL Week 5. 
Obviously, the story is COVID-19. Five games were off the board in the middle of this week. Not all of them for COVID-related reasons, but that's something we just haven't seen before midweek, uh, before an NFL game. But we're a quarter through the season, and even as I record this early on Thursday, there are a few games that are in jeopardy, namely the Titans and the Bills, which is complicated because the Bills are slated to play on Thursday night football next week, so it's not necessarily as easy as playing that game on Monday or Tuesday, although they are saying that they may delay next week's Thursday night football as a result and move it to October 17th was the date, I think I saw. But even then, that's unfair to the Bills' opponent next week and the Chiefs. So it's such a mess right now. There's no easy way to solve all of it. Um, another game in big-time jeopardy is the Patriots-Broncos matchup. Um, obviously, you have to monitor that one, but that's that's going to be one to watch. And the Chiefs-Raiders game was pulled from the board this week for a bit, too, but the Chiefs had no positive COVID tests as of Thursday morning. On top of that, we have a hurricane threatening the Saints game on Monday Night Football against the Chargers. There's talk of moving that one to Indianapolis to be played, but it's a dome there in, in New Orleans, so obviously uh, we shall see what they end up doing with that one. And then we have quarterback injuries that we've we've seen in the in the 49ers-Dolphins game. That's been off the board for a lot of the week. And then the Ravens and Bengals, that game's uh, been off the board a bit due to the Lamar Jackson news, but it looks like those are back up now. 49ers laying nine against the Dolphins and the Ravens 12.5 against the Bengals. Randomness, but over 70% of morning games are, have been going over, but a similar percentage of later games have been going under. Just this past week, we saw over sitting at 36-20-1 to start the season, heading into the afternoon slate of games, but then unders went unbeaten since that point, cashing the late Sunday games, Sunday night football, and the two Monday night games this week. For reference on these totals, Average scoring is just about 51 points per game so far this season. Last week's average was in the neighborhood of 46.5, and and 45 was your baseline, average NFL scoring baseline the last few years. This week, as of at least Tuesday morning before um, a lot of under money came in, or at least I was part of some of these under moves that I'm going to touch on shortly, Um, but as of Tuesday morning, at least, the average total of Week 5 games was 50.3, which is the highest weekly average total ever. Statistically, certain teams have obviously jumped out of the gates, namely the Chiefs, the Packers, and the Colts. Four teams are holding opponents to under five yards per play on offense. That's the Colts, the Steelers, the 49ers, and I bet if I give you 20 guesses on the next one, you still won't get it. Maybe think for three seconds. It's a team you're definitely not going to expect. It's the Giants. The Giants. The New York Giants. The Chiefs are the first team in NFL history to start the season at 4-0 in four straight years. A few more notes here. The Lions have lost six straight games when leading by double digits. That's fucking unreal. The Bill O'Brien era is over in Houston. It's the earliest firing earliest uh, in terms of post week fourth earliest firing since 2015 they don't even have a first or second rounder next year in houston so it's really sad for deshaun watson um management was not aware of how difficult i think this early schedule was for this team or something because obviously they should have expected a tough start we touched on this before the season started on the podcast but they you know the texans started with the chiefs then they hosted the ravens and then they went to play in Pittsburgh against the Steelers, and then they hosted the Vikings. Yeah, they probably should have won that home game last week against the Vikings, but damn, 1-3 and three was was probably the best start they could have really hoped for realistically to start the season, but sounds like there's more at play, and I usually like the angle of playing on a team in their first game with an interim coach. You know, After the old coach was fired, usually it adds a little bit of pep, pep in the step to the players, so to speak, but this week I don't know if I really want anything to do with the Texans, especially in a spot where I have the game power-rated a little bit lower than it is. I know a lot of sharp guys were able to scoop up plus seven with a little bit of extra juice on the Jaguars this week visiting Houston. But the Texans are around a six, six and a half point favorite right now in that game. And um, the only only one team has made the playoffs after starting 0-4, something to keep in mind, and that was the 92 Chargers. And obviously we have a few teams on bye this week. That's something to monitor. It's crazy that we're already a quarter way through the season. Before we jump to the week five official Doggy Juice Pod plays in the NFL, let's hear what bets our pal the Danimal 
has going this week. He is back for another rendition of the Danimal picks on the Doggy Juice Pod. One one and one last week, although you did give out uh, you gave out KC laying it against the Patriots, obviously before all the COVID stuff happened. So you know, depending on the book, people would bet that ad. It was it was maybe graded or maybe a push or maybe graded as a win, depending on it. So you could say two one and one, but we'll you know we'll grade it technically as one one and one. Uh, on the Doggy Juice Pod plays last week, but he's back this week. How's it going, Danimal? It's going well. Um, it's beautiful out in Chicago. Um, so no complaints there. NFL, like you said, last week was okay. My book, probably the worst book in the history of books, um, canceled my KC bet, and I didn't take it at 11 again, but both would have hit. Nonetheless, um, still above water here last week. So I don't have any complaints with the NFL, to be honest. Um, just to toot the own horn – I haven't watched like, any college football. Don't know why. I love college football. Saturday, I made a hand, a pretty good amount of college football bets. Watched just a little bit of the Alabama game. Checked my um, account. I went 11-0. Don't even know how. So no complaints. 11-0. Damn. That's a nice Saturday for anybody. Holy crap. Very nice. Congrats on the on the nice Saturday. You got any college leans this week at all? Or? Again, haven't even looked at the college games. Um, <laughs> no, I have no feel on college football at all right now. But you do have NFL action for us this week. So what are the uh, what are the Danimal Week 5 NFL picks? Definitely. I'll, I'll go with four again, have a couple leans. But the four locked-in picks, I will take Pittsburgh minus seven against Philly. I think Philly stinks. I think Wentz stinks. I saw a stat where he's been the worst quarterback even worse than Haskins and Jones and other people that have been benched. Um, Pittsburgh, I hope that extra week helped. I know they're pretty pissed off. I don't know if that matters too much, but I'm going to take Pittsburgh. Weather might be crappy, so I'll take Pittsburgh giving a touchdown. Also, Carolina, I think I've been on the wrong side of them every single week. This time I'm taking them as dogs against the worst Atlanta Falcons ever. Dead to me, Dan Quinn. Um, Yeah, I'll take that money line as well. I just – I hate the Falcons so much, and I think Teddy Bridgewater actually does pretty well in that game. Two totals I like, Houston and Jacksonville. I believe it's 54 right now. Um, Houston finally got rid of the worst coach and GM ever, so I think they open it up. I think Watson throws around the field today. Jacksonville's defense is really bad. They gave up a good amount of points to the Bengals and Dolphins, so I think Houston scores a lot, and Jacksonville with Gardner Menchu. They have some backdoor points to push us over 54. Last one, and this is a little asterisk, Baltimore Cincy over 51. I know Lamar is not practicing yesterday on Wednesday, so if Lamar doesn't play, I'm not betting this. But if Lamar is playing, I'll take Baltimore Cincy over 51. And those are my four locks of the week. There you hear it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that Lamar one, it's, it looks like, obviously – that total won't be 51 if he ends up sitting out that game, but uh, it looks like it's still up. I know a lot of books have pulled that uh, today on Thursday, but I'm seeing that, like you said, 51 is available on DraftKings right now. Uh, so we have a special surprise for you. I'm going to hit you with this. I know you don't know about it, but earlier in the podcast, we brought on your buddy and then my buddy, the Sage, a.k.a. Better Call Paul, and he has a challenge for you, uh, a challenge proposal uh, for the Danimal You'll hear this when you listen to the pod, Danimal, but uh, he basically has the proposal is this. He proposes next week for week six in the NFL. Each of you gets three picks. Um, that would be one pick on a side, one pick on any teaser of your choosing. And then I have to make sure this I'll, 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 I'll confirm with you, but um, I think the other one has to be a total, but three picks. And then the wager is, is um is just dinner pizza and he just said dinner at first i wanted to clarify like what type of dinner this is but his challenge is you each get three picks next week uh for dinner uh do you accept this challenge oh yeah definitely and i love better call paul um dinner caveat um for all you who don't know him he's um a big human being so i think we'll have to um (laughs) lock him down to a couple items because i've seen that kid eat before (laughs) <laughs> well that's gonna be a good one though i'm trying to look up in my notes really quick here what the exact if it had to be i know one of them's a teaser one of them's um a spread but we'll definitely do that next week then when i bring you on for your spot next week i'll i'll dish out 
who he has not, I, I won't let you know before, obviously if you know his info beforehand, you're at an advantage there, but I'll dish out his picks on the pod and then we'll hear, uh, I'll make sure he gets those to me obviously before I release the pod. So we'll see what goes on there. And then maybe we can even confirm the, um, the exact food that's going to be changing hands here. I know that it's kind of a, an edge for him because he lives out in California and he's talking pizza. And if you're going to like send him a pizza from Chicago, obviously the quality of the Chicago pizza is going to vary greatly from the pizza he's going to send you from California pizza kitchen or whatever the hell. He, he's got yeah, we did that <laughs> once. It is the biggest, not to be rude, <laughs> rip off ever. I remember he got surgery a couple months ago. Me and a couple of buddies sent him a pizza. And I think we went through like Lou's and all like the typical ones. Some of them want to charge you like 40 bucks to ship a damn frozen pizza. Yeah. It becomes like a hundred dollar pizza. That's crazy big. But like when, when you're comparing pizzas sending from Chicago to, to California and vice versa, California, to Chicago, it's like literally, I mean, like it's Ravens versus Washington football team type <laughs> of stuff, you know? I mean? So, so I know we, we could maybe discuss that as well, making it a more equitable pizza exchange going on, but we'll work out the details before next week. For but sure. That's something to look forward to uh, the Danimal better call Paul challenge. So sounds good. Sounds good, dude. All right. Good luck uh, with your bets this week and catch you uh, next Thursday. All right. Take care. All right. See you. Thank you very much to the Danimal. Good luck on your action this week. Everyone come back and check out next week's episode to see how that challenge between Danimal and Better Call Paul, a.k.a. Sage, works out. All right, now it's time to close out the episode with the official Doggy Juice Pod podcast plays for NFL Week 5. To everyone expecting a repeat of last week in terms of winning every play, remember to keep your expectations in check. Going 100% is nice, but what we strive for is 55% over time, continually building on small edges that we find in the marketplace. And like I've talked about with the overs earlier before um, we spoke to the Danimal, there are some unders that I have in pocket this week as more of a, a pendulum shift because the market is starting to really price in these inflated uh, totals and it's really opening up some value on my numbers on on some unders this week a lot of these have moved but there are a couple that are starting to come back so i'll also give you my buy price on them but here are the unders i'm on steelers eagles under 45 this one dipped to as low as 42 and a half earlier in the week after i hit it but now it's trickling back up um, seeing it 44 and a half, 44 consensus prices, depending on where you shop on Thursday. I like 45 for a full position, but something smaller at 44 or better. Really wouldn't bet it at anything under 43 and a half or even 43, but do keep your position smaller if you end up doing that. But I really like this spot. I think that this is a great position to get involved on a Steelers team that might be a little rusty after having their game suddenly obviously canceled last week. You got the Eagles traveling back from the West Coast after a big win. And this is an all-Pennsylvania battle between, obviously, a strong Steelers defense, and it's going to be tough for the Eagles to move the ball on them, and I don't see the Steelers really getting too much margin in this game. And then when you look at the Dimers' quick pick section, there's a little fire icon next to this puppy, which is listed at a 4.2% edge at under 44, so the edge is even higher at 44.5 and 45. And the Eagles plus 7 and the under are correlated in this spot as well. The Browns and the Colts under 48 was there earlier in the week, so at 46.5 market consensus right now, the value has been sucked away a bit. So reduce the investment size at 47 or better, but shop around because 47s are still out there as of Thursday. Maybe lock in some at 47 and then wait to see what happens with that total as the public over money starts to pour in more as the weekend approaches or as Sunday approaches. But there's clearly some sharp money on that under early in the week, and I was a part of that. The Colts are number one in the NFL in opponent yards per play at 4.4. The Browns are in the top half of the league in that same statistic, despite last week's shootout against the Cowboys, which skewed their stats. Phillip Rivers, obviously his big play arm strength is in serious question. A lot of people are calling him noodle-armed. And he also has some banged-up skill position guys around him. And the Browns, on the other hand, are number 30 in passing attempts this season so far and should look to slow this one down in a game with two run-first teams with strong defenses and what I fully expect to be a closely contested battle. 
And then the Monday night football total under that was sitting at 52 earlier in the week where I locked it up. And 52 is a relatively key total number in the NFL. So if you're late to the party on that one, I definitely reduce the investment at 51, which is still out there. But 51 or better is definitely still a go on that one. And then another under I'm eyeballing, but I'm in no rush to really play right now, is the Cowboys-Giants under. It's currently at 54. I know it sounds crazy to bet a Cowboys under right now, but I've told you about the, the market and the odds makers really factoring in a lot of the overs that we've been seeing so far, so you're paying a premium now if you're looking to go over. But like I touched on earlier, the Giants are surprisingly up there in opponent yards per play allowed. And yes, I expect the Dallas defense, which has been atrocious so far, but that's the narrative and that's why this total so damn high. And you know they're going to be looking to clamp down with the prevailing story out there being them, you know, being a sieve on defense. And this is a divisional matchup. So I'll be looking under in that one, especially if that puppy ticks up north of 55. And then another under I'm looking at to play as well is the Jets and the Cardinals under 47. In terms of sides, you all know that the Doggy Juice Pod's official team of the year this year relative to the market, the 49ers were last year, but this year it's the Browns. And the Browns at plus three with a little extra juice to start the week was a great bet. And FanDuel was actually offering plus three and a half at minus 130. So a little math tip, not every half point is obviously, not every half point's worth the same in the NFL. Moving on and off three is a lot more pricey than moving on and off you know, pretty much, well, definitely any other number um, in football. Seven would be your next one where it's more expensive to move on and off. But sometimes books aren't charging you what they should be. Sometimes they'll just go to the charts and put it in there. And, and FanDuel had the Browns at plus three and a half, minus 130 earlier this week, which is a great bet, especially in a low scoring game. So Stay tuned uh, because I also think the Browns are an excellent teaser candidate later as well. The Raiders catching 13 points. Looks like this one's starting to trickle down now. I'm seeing 12s, 12 and a halves now start to be the, those are the prevailing numbers out there. But shop around. Shortened week for the Chiefs who are 12 and 1 against the spread in their last 13 games dating back to last year. Now there's clearly a point spread tax on them according to my numbers that's in play this week. The Raiders were not liking how last Sunday ended up for them at home against the Bills. You saw Derek Carr come out there. He's frustrated about losing in his post-game interview. And and I think that's a good look, a good buy sign for a team, especially in a divisional battle here with the Chiefs. Their schedule has been all discombobulated lately. And this is a great look, I think, at anything over 11. I made this number just a tick under 10 myself. So I would need to be laying a touchdown or less to be looking at the Chiefs on this one. So on the other side, the, Ra- the Raiders north of 10, north of of 11 and even catching 13 earlier in the week. That's a bet I locked in getting this many points with the visiting dog here in a spot uh, where I think it's really good. And they're going to be looking to, sorry, they're going to be looking to prove a point. I think it's a good look. In terms of our hometown bears on Thursday night football against Tom Brady and the Bucks, in case you're listening in time, that line has dropped throughout the week. The Bucks were sitting at five and a half. Now it's down to three and a half. I'm even seeing some threes out there now with obviously juice on the Bucks at minus three. Um, as we approach kickoff in that one, I actually lean under in that one and will get involved with a smaller position if I can find 45 flat before kickoff, which may end up showing here. I would need something higher to get more involved for something serious, but also take paying attention to those team totals as well. If you can get the Bears 21 or under, might be worth a small little take there. If you, 21 or better under in that one, but I'm not really looking to play it for anything substantial if that even does show. It's teaser city this week in the NFL. And you better believe a lot of odds makers are worried about this card and all of the touchdown favorites that are sitting on the board right now. We have a lot of teaser candidates that fit our model of teasing through the key numbers of three and seven on a two-team six-point teaser, the classic Stanford Wong model teaser, as long as you're laying as close to minus 110 as possible and definitely never more than minus 120. And even that is a little dicey in most spots in that position. But 
Teams that fit the model, the Panthers, plus one and a half, can be teased up to seven and a half against Atlanta, but in a game with a higher total and more potential outcomes in, in the mid-50s, the total, that one's a little less valuable just from a strict numbers perspective. Um, the Bills would be in a similar spot if that game ends up being played against the Titans with that line in the, in the range that it's in right now, but obviously lots of trepidation looking to bet that one. The Rams were there earlier in the week, but that line um, at Washington has dropped from nine to seven. But with seven and a half starting to show, that does fit technically our requirements of teasing through those key numbers if we wanted to back the Rams. Same with the Cardinals on the road against the Jets. That one's gone from seven and a half to six and a half and now back up to seven, but you could tease them down to minus one. Then there's the Steelers also laying seven against the Eagles. Same deal, not above seven, but at seven. Um, so not the same technical edge, usually better off betting seven on its own rather than teasing it um, if you're finding value in the number. But I do like the under in that one, so points will be harder to come by. The 49ers, although that's sitting at nine in most spots right now, but they could get there if you can grab an eight and a half and tease them down through seven and the three down to two and a half. Ask them to basically just win the game outright as well. The aforementioned Browns on the podcast. Obviously, it stands to reason that I like this one because of my affinity for the Browns this season relative to the marketplace. And since I make them an ever slight favorite at home this week against the Colts and have plus three with a little extra juice in pocket, but teasing the Browns up right now to seven and a half is a great play this week, I think, especially in a game that I expect to be a lot lower scoring on the under in that one and where points are going to be tougher to come by. The Seahawks, they're also close to being there, uh, but that line is moving closer to south of 7 than north of 7 right now. I make that game 6.7 on my stuff, so it's right where I think it should be um, on the point spread pretty much right now. So, you know, you better believe that number will be higher if there were actually fans in Seattle this week at CenturyLink Field on primetime football, but that's not the case. So I don't really think that is going to be a a teaser on my card this week at all at any point. But then we have the Saints on Monday Night Football, currently eight-point favorites, seven-and-a-half. You could even find out there, and you could tease them down to minus one-and-a-half or minus two, essentially asking them to win the game outright against the Chargers on Monday night. So for your official teaser of the week on the Doggy Juice podcast, let's call it Browns teased up to plus seven-and-a-half, and the Saints teased down to minus one-and-a-half essentially asking the Browns to keep the game within a touchdown at home against the Colts in a low-scoring game, and the Saints basically winning the game, asking them to win the game outright at home against the Chargers on Monday Night Football. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Doggy Juice Pod. That was a long one, wasn't it? I will make sure that these are going shorter moving forward. As always, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Doggy Juice. And I'll be back next week with more, with more guests in the next few podcasts, the next few weeks. We're going to be doing regularly a regular schedule of guests. And we'll also be eager to hear more about that Danimal versus Sage challenge in next week's podcast. So stay tuned for that one as well. All right, everyone. In the meantime, enjoy the games this weekend. And good luck with your bets. Talk to you all next week. Doggy Juice. Ouch.